in heart in the attitude of worship, praise of God because of who He is. And I know we like to thank God for the things that He has done in our lives, and we should. And that heart of gratitude must be there. But if all we thank God for is what He hands us, we've missed the most of it. Because it is not what He hands us that is that is what makes Him great. It is uh, who's, I mean, it is the being that that hand, and we know God doesn't have a hand, but that hand is attached to the character of the one in whom is giving. It is the one who is handing out that you worship, not because he hands it out, but because of his very nature, which causes him to hand out his very character, which causes him to give the way he does. And that when we know we are undeserved, when we know that there is no way we have no business receiving what we have. I know some of y'all think God just should have gave it to you, but, 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 but we should understand God is saying that there isn't anything that we have that we deserve. And when we understand that, our response is gratitude. Our response is worship. Our response is praise. And so this morning as we do that, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word together. The hour has moved on and we definitely will hear God's word this morning. This one is a longer text and yet we will actually speak just a little as we share this account speak just a little beyond that this morning as well let's read together it's in the center fold of your bulletin if you want to read from your bibles matthew 12 22 through 32 then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. 
Father, may your words rest in our hearts and may we listen, Lord, with a sobering thought as to how we would live for you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Those words I know are very sobering and yet God has a word to encourage us this morning as well as a word to warn us. And I love what Jesus does. He surely wants us to leave with joy, but he wants to leave soberly with joy. And that as we are before him, we always see that the Lord always gives us encouragement. But then there are times that he has to give us warning because he is wanting us to walk in the way in which will will cause us to look like him the most. Today, I know we will be dealing some with this thing that has perplexed many uh, called the unpardonable sin. And I know for many, they don't understand, and some have, have really been nervous and afraid of how they avoid and to keep away from doing that. And I will just say for most people that if you are very concerned about committing the unpardonable sin, you do not have to worry about committing the unpardonable sin. Um, not that you don't have to worry about sin. We're not saying that at all. But as we get into this, and I want to just alleviate some thought with that, this, in this case, we will see how this came about and why Jesus gives them and anyone like them down the line this stern warning. This warning, I'm going to say this right now, this warning that comes from the only one that was on earth that could forgive sin. Remember, back up in chapter 9, he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. Remember the man on the mat? He said, take up your bed, you know, rise, take up your bed and walk. Before that, he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man, he was referring to himself, that I have the authority to forgive sin. And so he was the only one on earth that had that authority because he's God in the flesh to forgive sin. Now he is here saying, that there is a time where it will not be forgiven, but you are hearing from the only one that can forgive it. And so he gives us this warning, but that's not the focus totally of this text. The focus is rejecting, and the title of the message, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. Rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. This, this is, understand right now, the opposition to Jesus and his ministry is coming to its climax. It is it is rising. Just as Jesus' popularity is rising, so is the opposition against him rising. And, and, and as he is doing more and more things, making it completely obvious that he is the Messiah, making it completely obvious that he is working by the hand of God. And the scripture talks about Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, that, 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 that he was completely controlled by the Spirit of God that he was working. And so we see that increasing in abundant measure, but we also see because of the hatred for him, because of the sin of the hearts of the religious people. Now hear that, because of the sin in the hearts of the religious people. The crowds were even beginning to go, whoa, hold on a second, this, this, this might be the Messiah. And understand why people had that issue. Because he didn't look and do what they thought a Messiah would do. They had, they had the job description for Messiah written out. They had it plastered all over. Not really, but in their minds they did. They had what a Messiah would do, what he should do. And when they saw this man Jesus come and he began to hang out with whom they thought he shouldn't hang out. And when he began to, to, 
to talk to the people they thought he shouldn't be talking to when he seemed to be so low-key, when he wasn't this high flash and, 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 and high um, and mighty, I am not talking to those around me who are lowly kind of savior they had issue. And then they really had an issue when he started to suffer. And so in their mind, this couldn't be, this is not how we thought a Messiah would behave. But man, he keeps doing these things that only a Messiah would do. Like, like hold on, what's up? And then he keeps talking like only a Messiah would talk. And, 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 and he keeps demonstrating power and authority like only a Messiah would. Maybe he is. And Jesus' whole point was that he was coming, he was fulfilling Scripture, he was showing that Scripture culminated, all the prophecies culminated and, and ended in him. And then as he's going forward from there, he's beginning to demonstrate that he is working with the full power of God. But then he starts to talk and he says, I am God. And they could not, or I should say they would not receive it. And so then he begins to deal with that. And so remember, Jesus has left the crowd because they were looking to destroy him. We saw that back in early part of Matthew 12 when he talked about the Sabbath and the whole point of the Sabbath was to do good and so that you can reflect and worship God and you have that time away. Now what was beginning to happen is he, he left there because he didn't want a confrontation. Uh, uh, not because he was afraid of them. That was not the case because Jesus could handle them anytime he chose to, but he had a mission, and his mission was not to be confrontational. His mission was to demonstrate who he is as God fulfilling prophecy and then to go to the cross and die, be resurrected so that we all could be able to come and fellowship with him, even some of those Pharisees who opposed him. Because as you look in the book of Acts, some of the Pharisees begin to come, and more and more begin to come as they begin to realize who Jesus was when he walked this earth. But as he gets here, he now has to leave the crowd, leave the Pharisees, so he doesn't get into confrontation, but he is, he is out, and now he is healing. He is out, and he is healing. All those that came that were sick that followed him away from the Pharisees. Remember, they said, if we stay with y'all, ain't nothing going to happen. But if we come over here with Jesus, he's the one that's healing. He's the one that's changing lives. He's the one that's setting things straight. All y'all doing is talking. And so they come on over, and they bring to him a man. It says then, and we don't know when that then is. It could be from verse 15 when all those came and he healed them. It could be that bunch, but we don't know. But we know it was sometime after he left that group at the Sabbath and he was healing folk. They brought to him a man that was, that was demon-possessed. Some scriptures say oppressed, but where, where the demon had taken control of his faculties and, 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 and it had now caused blindness and it had caused muteness. He could not speak, nor, he could, nor, nor could he see. And that was his physical condition, but I know throughout the Gospels and that as we look at it, Jesus, when things were highlighted and when, the, and when the writers of the Gospels highlighted things, it was more than just what was happening at that time, although it included what was happening at that time. What you were seeing, too, is there was some sort of spiritual connection there. It was like this object lesson is that when good teachers teach, they use these things that will help you to remember the lesson. When, whenever you're in the presence of a good teacher, they will make sure that, that you get the point, you remember the point, and you understand the point. 
And I'll never forget, I, 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 now I don't even remember the point he was making, but when I had a, a calculus, had to take it for my major, I, one of the hardest classes I would take, I was glad that I only had to take one of them classes. Some of y'all that are in the sciences and the math classes and engineering, I know you guys, y'all just, y'all just love it. Y'all dove head first into the calculus and, and linear equations and all that vector analysis. And I was like, nah, bro, I'll let y'all study that. But I remember for this calculus one class I had, that was enough for me. And, and, and this professor was trying to make his point. And I remember this professor, it was an Hasidic Jewish brother who was his professor. So he was in his full garb, black, black, had the, black, had the long beard, had the tassels. And he was our professor in this, in this college I was going to in New York, junior college. And he stood up on the desk. I was like, what is this dude doing? And as he began to explain, I go, oh, wow. And I got it. And he understood that there were some in that class that, well, it was just, and, and as he stood and as he began to make the point he made, I got it. Why? Because of the objects that he was using, including himself. And as we look here in Scripture, Jesus uses those times when he heals. And it's very interesting that they bring to him a man that was blind. The healing that happened was great. It, it, it was so great that it wowed the crowd, like the whole crowd. The word that is used is the word that's used for large gatherings. Akloi, the whole crowd that gathered, said were amazed. And so they brought and it said he healed them. It's interesting because most times when, when people that are demon possessed are brought to the Lord, we hear about him casting them out. But this time we hear about him healing him to the point that it was complete. It said that, that Jesus healed him so that he saw and he could talk, that he could speak and he, he could see what the demon had been controlling over. And many times in that culture, they also believed that if these things were happening is that it was because there was something demonic that was happening with you. And so Jesus came in and healed all was wrong. And this brother was standing there completely well. God completely dealt with what was happening with his blindness and his ability to speak. He had no voice. He could not say. He couldn't praise God. He couldn't proclaim God. He couldn't do anything. And so his blindness and his inability to speak were healed. And everyone, the crowd was amazed. But then there was that group. And nothing just impresses them. Usually when you heard up until this point in the scriptures, he would either cure blindness or he would cure muteness. These are one of those times where they were together. This man had them both. And instantaneously, it was changed. It was a visible, obvious, indisputable act of God and the spirit at work. And so we, we hear about the healing of the possessed man was complete and it caused people to consider the, the miracle was so dramatic that people said, could this be the son of David? Understand, when you see that phrase Jews, especially with Matthew, it is messianic in this term. They were saying, well, hold on, man, could this guy really be the Messiah? After seeing what they saw, after the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work clear and strong, 
They said, the crowd was like, we have got to consider that this Jesus is who he says he is. And then you get the Pharisees. Then you get these guys who had the scriptures, but they were dead. They had already decided we were going to find out how to destroy this dude. And so when they saw this, here's, understand this. They did not deny what they saw in front of them. There was no denying the fact that a miracle had happened. But because their hearts were so twisted and so opposed to Jesus, and he could not be who he says he is. And there's there's no way I'm going to embrace that, that you, sir, are not from God. The only other answer to this miraculous display of power for them really was they had convinced themselves, if he is not from God, he has to be from Satan. There was no other... They could not say, ah, nah, that was kind of some trickery, y'all. You know, that that, that, that is just a sleight of hand. There was no disputing it. Everyone knew this guy who was blind and who was mute, and now he's fine. He's standing in front of them, and all the crowd is like, whoa, what do you do with that? Well, if you don't give glory to God with that kind of demonstration, they knew there was another demonstration of power that was available. And they ascribed it to Satan, and they said, no, 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 no. This ain't God. Mm-mm. They said, this is clearly the work, he said, of Beelzebub, Beelzebub, the prince of demons. What? You saw how everything he did pointed to was and, 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 and demonstrated that he was good and that he was for the people and that he spoke for God, that he fulfilled prophecy. That I mean, it, there's no disputing that. And instead, what they did, because they were so opposed to Jesus, they refused to embrace the truth. Now, this is not just about belief. Because there were some Pharisees that chose to believe differently. There were, later on down the line. The issue here becomes rejecting the work of the Spirit of God. That Jesus Jesus did what he did, and we hear it from Scripture. Jesus did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. We hear that all the time. That's why he turns to us and says, I'm leaving and the Spirit's going to come, and you will do greater. What do we mean by greater? Like, like, like we're going to do greater miracles? And what it means? No. What you're going to do is you're going to be a part of leading people into the kingdom, which is the greater work. I know we think the miracles are the greater works. And the more miracles we can perform, the greater we are and the greater we look. Not the greatness is when someone is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have helped someone who was going to be eternally lost. Now to be eternally rescued, you are going to change it. You are going to help be a part of changing the destiny. That is the greater work. And the fact that you do it in the kingdom of God that has been prophesied and is now dawning, the reign of God is now here and that you will be a part of that. That's the greater works. Don't let anyone fool you that unless miracles are happening, the demonstration of God isn't happening. Yeah, the greatest miracle is that you and I are standing here today worshiping, praising, claiming to be children of God because of the work that was done. 
And so these guys instead, what you see here is the response of the Pharisees. I find it interesting. He healed the man that was blind and couldn't speak or wasn't able to say anything, anything. And standing in front of them were men who were blind and might as well have been mute because what they were saying was foolish. And so he healed a man physically, but here were standing in front of him foolish men who were still blind and couldn't speak the truth. I found that interesting, that this, I, this irony that existed there. And so Jesus deals with them. He says, okay, wow, you are so dead set against me, you're not even making sense. Because that's what he does. First, he goes to the illogical conclusions that they've come to, and he deals with it. And here's what happens. When you are dead sent against God and opposing his way, you will do foolish things to oppose him. You will say, I'm just going to say, you will say stupid stuff to oppose him. You will look just downright idiotic as you oppose God, because it will be obvious that what God is saying is true and that who he is is true and what he has displayed and demonstrated, but you will say, no, no, it's not. It's like my daughter when she came home. She was a first summer back, I mean, after college, she was a camp counselor for the YMCA. And she had that group of six to eight-year-olds, I believe it was. And she came home and she admitted, she said, yeah, Dad, wow, six or eight-year-olds think they know everything. <laughs> and they know very little. And she said, we will say stuff. And it was clearly the truth. And no, it's not. And they would argue with her. And she would go, I'm not arguing with these little kids. They obviously <laughs> don't know. It was foolishness. And that's what was happening here. Jesus says, let me deal with the foolishness first of this. The fact that it doesn't even make sense. And then he gives us something that we should really remember even outside of this. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. He goes, let me find it. Hold on a second. All right, here it is. My page had flipped. He says, uh, look, guys. 25, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, I love that, knowing their thoughts, not hearing their words, knowing their thoughts, demonstrating godly power, knowing their thoughts, he said to them. That, that should have given him a clue. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Now, here's what he does. He goes, kingdom, city, house. You see what he does? He says in every phase of, 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 of structure, of authority, of how you gather, division never helps. He says every kingdom that is divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Now, in the context, he's saying to them, you are making no sense. Because if indeed I do this by Satan, I am pillaging Satan's kingdom. 
I am casting out demons left and right. As a matter of fact, one time when I got to the shore, remember, they had to run and check in. They were so afraid of me. And so if indeed I'm doing this, that I'm in cahoots, I'm in collusion with Satan, he's dumb because I'm casting out what he once had control over. I am wrecking things. He says, so that doesn't make sense. But he gives us a clue in our daily life. He said, every kingdom that is divided is laid waste. It's going to fall. Every kingdom. And this ain't just spiritual. Every kingdom. Every rule, every governmental authority, we've seen it throughout our life. I mean, we read it in our history books. But then he goes, every city. And then he goes to the smallest, every house. He goes, listen, if y'all ain't together, y'all are fighting, if y'all are divided, it's going to fall. What? Whatever you're trying to build is going to fall. Your home, going to fall. Your parenting, going to fall apart. Your career, it's going to fall. Everything that has division in the middle of it, your church, everything, division only works in math. <laughs> or if you need to share something and you divide it, I like to divide like Bugs Bunny used to. I don't know if y'all got, I'm a big cartoon head. And so I used to love the way Bugs Bunny divided. Remember one for you, one for me, two for you, one, two for me, three for you, one, two, three. For, I love the way he divided. But dividing only works in math. But then he turns around and says, every will fall. Then he goes in deeper with him. And you have to understand, he is saying, I'm going to deal with the logical or the illogical nature of your comment. But then I'm going to warn you. And he says, watch it, boys. I know you oppose me and you feeling yourself and your chest is all out. And what he tells them, watch yourself. You are coming to a place where there's no turning back. He says, you sure you won't get on this bus? See, there comes a time when God will let you push. And there he comes a time when he says, okay, now you get into your end, partner. This is not me against you. It's just me, is what God is saying. And you are getting to your end. And when you push that end, it's done. There are many in our world we don't understand. It. Folks, do not be afraid of folks that are pushing against the kingdom of God. It is not God against them. It's just God. And when he's done with them pushing, he goes, over He's not wondering what is he going to do as the world pushes or as it seems everything is unraveling and people becoming more and more immoral. Come on, y'all. They were more immoral than this in the Roman days. This is nothing. I know we think it's coming apart at the seams, and it may be. But understand, if God could birth his church during the days of the Romans... He could surely keep it in the 21st century. And so I have no fear. Yeah, it may cause us to lose some lives, and it has. 
and it may cause us to lose some property and some freedoms. That may happen. But make no mistake, the plan of God is in full force, and it is straight on, and there is nothing deterring it. Now, it can deter you from being a part of it, but there's nothing deterring it. And so he goes on here, and he says, look, guys, no kingdom. And he says, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand if I am, if I am undermining what Satan is trying to do? Because understand, he wants control. What did Jesus say in the book of John? He said, the thief, talking about Satan, the thief comes what? To do what? Steal, to steal kill, and destroy. And so if that is his goal, and I am undermining that by causing that to not happen, he won't succeed. But then he goes even further and he says this. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Understand there were groups of religious Jews who were claiming to exorcise, to cast out demons. And if indeed this power to exorcise and cast out was demonic, then what are your sons, meaning those that belong to you, not their actual children, but what are your people like that who are like you, Pharisees? Who are they casting it out by? See, you responded so quickly because you hate me that you didn't even think about what you were saying. And then he says, they will be your judges because in essence, if they are indeed casting them out, it's not by Satan. And if it is, they're your judges that it's not by Satan that I cast them out. So he says, again, you make no sense. And when people come today with things against God, they, they make no sense. It's just a book written by man. Duh. We didn't see a spiritual hand come out the sky and write it. I said, I know that. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that, that God moved on men directed by the Spirit and they wrote. So their personalities weren't in, in, in tech. They weren't in some sort of mental stupor and they just wrote. Not, no, no, they wrote understanding and God was strong enough to lead and to direct their writing. It's just an old book written by men. Oh, I'm glad it wasn't written by aliens because they wouldn't be able to identify with us. It was a book written you know, 20 centuries ago, yeah, and yet in our schools, we read writings from Greek writers older than that. You're not making sense. Why? Because you don't like God. Well, I don't like Christianity because it's so restricting. Really? But the life you're living isn't? Oh, you think you're free. That's why you hung up in all them habits. And I'm not just talking about drugs. See, the issue becomes people will say things without thinking because they don't like what God is doing and they don't like who he is. And so they be and then we begin to go, well, how do I answer that? I just you know from what you know in the scriptures. And as a matter of fact, don't worry about it. Had a conversation with a young man right here in Georgetown Market. And as we started talking, because he saw me reading the book and he asked me about the book and we got into this great conversation. And so he shared with me, I mean, he asked me questions about why did I believe what I believe? Great for the class. Why did I believe what I believe? And I was like, okay, you asked. So then I just began to share. 
And I begin to tell him the reason I follow Jesus is because as I read scripture and as I see who Jesus is and what he has proven himself to be, I said, there is no one that comes close to demonstrating the kind of authority that Jesus has demonstrated. He goes, oh. I said, and until someone comes close, he finished my sentence. He said, you're sticking with him. I said, there you go, bro. I said, that's what, I don't worry someone's going to bring something that's going to wreck my faith. When you show up like Jesus did all throughout time, I can read your history. I can read the prophecies about you that you're fulfilling. I can, I can read about the eyewitnesses to the demonstration of your power. I can do all that, and then you can change my heart and my life. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Up until then, I'm not worried about it. My faith stands strong and it stands firm because it is not based on some little fickled idea and some writing that someone said that someone came later with a better idea. That's easy to say. Prove it. I tell today, stop listening to people that can't prove a thing. Prove it. As a matter of fact, the test is not on us. They made the claim, prove it. Because I can prove mine. And this is not an arrogant statement. This is one that just says, listen, what we stand on is firm and I can have a solid faith in. Even though there are lots of people that oppose it. Whole lot. But then he says to them, but if, verse 28, it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons which it is, he said, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He said, now I went there with you. Now let me, you go here with me. If this is indeed the spirit of God, the kingdom of God is here. In other words, the rule and reign of God has broken through your doors. You are looking at the king. You are witnessing God imposing his will in this earth and in the society. God is at work if I am doing this by the spirit of God. And then he says to them, listen, understand, understand. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house? I've always loved this verse. And plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. He says, look, you are so worried indeed about what's happening. He says, look, how can someone come in since I'm stealing Satan's stuff? Which is what he's talking about. He said, how can someone come into your house and take your stuff? How can someone rob you? When I grew up in, 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 in my part of Brooklyn, the biggest thing was when someone came on you, beat you up, and stole your shoes. That was a big thing. That was huge. Yo, man, he beat him up and took his shoes. And we were like, wow, oh, man, that's like the biggest embarrassment, man. Beat him up and took his shoes. Left you, left you barefoot. Jesus walks into Satan's house and beat him up and takes his stuff. That's what he said. He said, how can, how can a strong man have his stuff plundered unless someone who's stronger comes in, ties him up, and plunders his house? He was, now remember the context of the conversation. The context of the conversation is, is he doing the works by Satan or is he doing the works by God because he is God? He's saying, not only am I God, I walked into the front door of Satan's house, tied him up, and took his stuff. Now his stuff, y'all, because we gave ourselves over, 
He says, I'm plundering his house. You don't see that? I'm stronger than him. There is nothing that he can do. All he can do is stand there and watch. And he says to you and I, that is the authority Jesus comes with. There is no need to be afraid of Satan if you are in Christ. But don't try this at home if you don't have Jesus. You are no match. Period. We'll have you running naked like the seven sons of Sceva. Have you out of your mind and wondering what's going on? My mother would say, you don't know your A from your we. I'm still trying to figure out what that means, but some of y'all know. I don't. <laughs> and he tells them, look, whoever is not with me, and then Jesus says, there's no neutrality. He makes the clarification. There's no neutrality. There's no fence. There's no middle ground. Jesus always, and when you look in the Gospels, he never lets you go, well, I'm just going to stay in the middle, Jesus. God says, you better make a choice, buddy. He says, there is no, he says, Who, whoever is not for me, you've already made a choice. You're against me. And whoever is not gathering, whoever is not bringing them in with me, whoever is not gathering and, and helping in the kingdom, you're actually scattering. He says, there's no neutral ground. He tells the Pharisees, you are actually against me. There's no neutral ground. He tells us today, if you are not living for me, you are actually living against me. If you're not helping to bring people to the kingdom, you're actually keeping them from the kingdom because your lifestyle is doing it. And so he's not telling us this is our thing to get busy. No, this is our thing to start living for him. Choose how, who are you going to live for? Well, I'm just living for me. Okay, you're against Jesus. Because when we decide to live for ourselves, we have put the will of God to the side. I'm going to do me. Okay, you do you. I'm going to do Jesus. And he says to us today, are you for me or are you against me? Are you helping to bring them in or are you keeping them out? And then he warns him. He says, understand, understand this real good. He says, where you're treading is dangerous. He says, even if you speak against the Son of Man, he's about himself, Jesus in the flesh. He said, I'll be forgiven because, again, he tells on the cross, he says to the Father, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as they were crucifying him. They are forgiven. And they're saying, if you be God, come on down and, 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 and show yourself. And, and they were mocking him and when they spit him and they hit him. He said, that'll be forgiven. Because we act and operate out of unbelief. This is not an issue of unbelief when he goes to this next one. This is where you see the demonstration of God and you oppose him so much that the only thing that can be in your mind is this is not God. This is the work of Satan. Now, it is a difficult place to get to, but it is a place that can be gotten to because Jesus mentions it. It's not for us to go around worry. did I, did I? No, 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 no. Keep living for God. Don't worry about that. 
But as you begin to see folks around you and you pray for them, or if you are one that has not received Christ, just watch your, if you are so opposed to God, it's not an issue of belief or unbelief. It's an issue of, I see clear demonstrations of God at work, of the spirit at work. And I go, that can't be God because I can't stand that Jesus. Boy, it must be Satan at work. You actually give more credence and credibility to Satan and his kingdom than you do to God. And he says that won't be forgiven. And here's what he says, now or forever. Not that there's forgiveness in the next life. No, 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 no. He's not saying that. There is never a time in this time or in eternity. In other words, you will be eternally lost, period. Now, unbelief, if a person does not, he tells the Pharisees one day, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. That's another issue. There is no way that you are forgiven of your sins if you don't come to Jesus to ask for forgiveness. The only way you're coming to ask for forgiveness is if you believe he can and will forgive. And so that's a different story. What he's talking about here is something that only these guys had put themselves in that position because of the hatred of God and his Christ. And he warns them and he warns us today. But then lastly, he says this. Lastly, he says this. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. I mean, and and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by his fruit. You know what he's saying to them? He says, look, I'm the good tree. And the words that I share and the fruit and the things that I do that you see, it's good because I, was, I am good. He says, either make the tree. Who makes trees? I know. Either, either the tree is good or it's not. In other words, either the, true, either the tree is coming out as that which is good and true and whatever the fruit is off of it or... It's bad, and it's not. And guess who he was referring to? He says, look, people can eat from y'all, Pharisees, all they want. They're eating bad fruit. As a matter of fact, when they pull it, it's bad. It might look good on the outside. We had some friends when we were in um, Germany. They had these, they had these plum trees on their, on their um, property, and they told you, you could pick them when they're in season, but they told them, make sure before you eat them, you always had to go through that process that you took them, grabbed them in the middle by where they hung from the tree, and you split it. And the reason you split it was to see if it rotten because it would have a worm. Because that was the pain. And so he said, so they did. So they got it. They would take it, and, and we would take it and split it. Because on the outside, it looked like any other fruit. But when you opened it up, it was rotten. And that tree, or if the tree is diseased, everything it produces is diseased. And what he said here to them is, look, you're either going to eat from a good tree or you're going to eat from a bad one. And he says, if you are going to eat from me, the fruit is good. If you eat from these jokers, the fruit is bad and it won't lead to anything good. God is saying to you and I today, look, Jesus has made it obvious. Boy, that he is the real deal. I know it's warm in here, too. I was like, did some heat get kicked on? I don't know, but we getting ready to close. 
Hang on, bear with us, because it is warm as ever. Jesus says, listen, we have made it such. He said, I've made it easy for you to believe. Now, you may be mad at some of the things that God has allowed to happen in your life. You may be angry at where he has you or the position that you're in, and you don't understand why you're there. But you can't question his goodness. You know, you know. I may be mad at your choices, God. I may not like it. I may have said, well, Lord, I would have done it differently. I'll tell you, be careful because you're telling God, you don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing, God, actually. I don't see into the future, but I know what I'm doing. Um, I'm, I don't see the end from the beginning, but I know what I'm doing. God says, just sit and relax. See, the issue becomes we get angry, and we may disbelieve, but that's not where they had gone to. Don't let your heart be so opposed to God that you call good evil and you call evil good. That's what was happening here. They were so, they had so much hatred for Jesus. And it only ramped up from here that they called good evil and evil good. Did they really believe that? I believe at that point they really did. They had worked themselves up so much that that was the deal. And I tell us this morning as we end, look, be careful. Be careful of where we allow our hearts to go. Yes, we all deal with unbelief at some point. That's not what Jesus is warning us about because he said there are some sins. It'll be forgiven. And we knew some of those people that spat on him, some of those people <clears throat> that mocked him, some of those people that had words for him, some of them turned. Remember Nicodemus? At the Lord, right. Nick at night. I love that. Nick at night. Nicodemus who came at night. And he was trying to figure it out as he was coming on the slide because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. Had no problem after he died and he realized Jesus was the real deal. That he was one of the two that came to Pilate and said, can we have his body? He had no problem identifying now. And there were others along the way. That's not what God is talking about. It is a refusal. It is a rejecting of the work of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, he can't work in your heart. And if the Spirit is not at work in your heart, you don't get to come. See, we think repentance is I can at any time just decide I want to be forgiven. That's not what the Bible teaches. God grants forgiveness. He, I'm sorry, he grants repentance. He puts your heart in a position where you see it and you're broken. The fact that you are repentant is an act of God. And so if God is speaking to your heart and if he is working on your heart and if he is, he is pushing on your heart to repent, boy, that is grace on display. He is saying to you, respond, respond. Because he has worked on our dead hearts. See, a dead person has no plans for the next moment. How can something dead decide? How can something dead decide? Jesus says, you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. How did we all of a sudden just decide, I'm going to come to the Lord? You were dead. But how did you come? God touched your heart. And you saw the truth. You were like, whoa, wow, Lord. 
and you responded. So that's why if the Lord is speaking to your heart, respond. If he is saying something to you, respond. If he is pressing on an area of your life, respond. Because that is your moment of grace. That is your day of visitation. And we say this morning, look, God is saying for those that were in the crowd, they said, could this be the Messiah? He was breaking through to them. And those that refused to follow said, there's no way he's the Messiah. To their eternal damnation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have in your grace called us out. Father, I know this message seems...